From a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation? Intriguing stories and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. What if you took the time to really soak it? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca, your host, and I just want you to know that I appreciate you listening to my show, so speak to me, because you know what? My team and I spend a lot of time and energy thinking and preparing for our show about things that I care about, and I think that you will too. So let me know what you're thinking. If you find the show riveting, valuable, horrific, or even offensive, you just fill in the blank, jet me an email at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. You can also go right to my website, talkwithfrancesca.com, and fill out the contact form. It'll get right to me. Visit me on Facebook. I promise I'll get right back to you there too. And if you missed part of the show, you can go to recent shows on my website. Again, that address is talkwithfrancesca.com. Listen there. And I'm also on iTunes, so plenty of places to listen to Talk With Francesca. All right then, healthy and wellness or disability and disease. That's the choice you make every time you eat or drink something. Isn't there an expression, you are what you eat? Author of the upcoming book, Food Shaman, Michael Fenster, is here to discuss the changes that need to be made in the modern Western diet in order for a healthier tomorrow. Food, he says, is more than just about filling your belly. It's an experience that you need all five senses to truly enjoy. Sometimes we get so caught up in the experience that we sacrifice nutrition for good taste. But the reality is that today's Western diet is really slowly killing us. But we are so oversaturated with diet pills, fast food commercials, and lose weight quick schemes that we are left with zero direction. And that's where Michael Fenster comes in. He's a board certified interventional cardiologist, professional chef, and author of books like The Fallacy of the Calorie and The Food Shaman, which I personally endorse. So big welcome to you, Michael. Thanks for joining us today and talk with Francesca. Thanks, Francesca. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. So what is an interventional cardiologist, dare I ask? Sure. So uh, everybody is familiar with what a uh, cardiologist does. And within cardiology, um, like much of medicine and like much of science, we kind of drill down in those silos. So we have electrophysiologists who deal specifically with the rhythms of the heart and the electrical system of the heart, the electricians of the heart, if you will. And an interventional cardiologist, we deal with the blockages in the heart arteries, the blood flow. So we're more like the plumbers. So, you know, even within specialties of medicine, there's specialties of specialties. It can go on and on, can it, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it can. And, and, you know, I think that is, um, which is sort of draw an analogy back to food, that's where we can start to lose the connection. You know, as a cardiologist, I focus on the heart. As an interventional cardiologist, I focus on coronary artery disease. But the heart, our heart doesn't work in isolation. You know, it's connected to the lungs. It's intricately connected to uh, the kidneys. We're finding out there's all this communication from the gut to the brain and Mm -hmm. the brain to the heart. We're human beings. Um, And in much the same way, when we focus on a nutrient value or an RDA or a percent of saturated fat, we kind of can lose the forest for the trees when we're talking about food and how it affects us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
What is a food shaman, since that's the name of your book? I mean, I, I love the, oh, I, lo- I personally love the name, but for our listeners' sake, well, tell, tell us why. Yeah, that, it's, it's great. So if we think, you know, a shaman is someone who is a walker between worlds. Mm. You know, they, they go to the betwixt and the between, and they get information for the patients, for their community, and they bring back, you know, healing information, and and they work on healing the whole person. And, you know, as a cardiologist, um, I certainly uh, am well aware and intimately involved in understanding food as medicine, but hey, you know, I'm a professional chef, and that means I'm a regular guy like everybody else, and I get food for pleasure. And food that extends uh, in its effects beyond just these uh, kind of nutrients and RDA calculations. And so the food shaman is walking that betwixt and between to help uh, us understand and bring back a healing, helpful, and delicious food experience. So how do we do that? Well, you know, I think it starts with kind of recognizing where we are. So... As you mentioned in the opening, which I thought was uh, was very eloquent, by the way, um, so much of our, us are caught up in our multitasking and our society of convenience um, that the food reflects that. And we really have gone away from what our bodies, and most importantly, a whole chapter on the book is devoted to talking about the bacteria that live in our gut, what we call the gut microbiome, mm. that has co-evolved to co-metabolize a certain diet for us a certain group of natural foodstuffs. We've moved so far away from that in our convenience culture with these processed foods that we're really starting to see that that is creating a a lot of this chronic low-level inflammatory uh, basis that is associated with so many of the diseases and disabilities that we see in our modern culture, things like coronary artery disease, obesity, diabetes, neurodegenerative diseases, certain types of cancers, all these are attributable uh, at some level to really basic over uh, working of our inflammation system, our immune system at sort of a chronic low level that it's, that it's always turned on. And so when we find ourselves there, we need to kind of break that addictive pattern and really just get back to eating kind of the clean, authentic, wholesome foods, uh, whatever they may be, whatever appeals to our sense of taste. And I want to emphasize something here that's very important, that we're not talking about restriction. We're not talking about salvation through deprivation, that you can't have wheat and you can't have whole dairy and you can't have this or that. It's about what appeals to our individual taste, but consuming the foods that are of quality. It's really about quality, not category. Mm -hmm. You know, I've spoken to a variety of people over the years about inflammation, and there's no doubt in my mind that inflammation is pretty much the cause of disease. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I I think, you know, uh, and, and people's, you know, we like to look and say, well, we found this gene or there's a family history there, which is sort of a, um, you know, a code word that we use for genetics. And we like to say, you know, this causes disease or because, uh, you know, I have this family history, I'm going to have this disease. But really, it's our environment that unmasks it. And so disease develops as a function of our genetics, which right now we can't do too much about and our environment and it's that that really sets or does not set that 
cascade of chronic low-level inflammation into effect, which can wind up with a with a manifestation of a lot of these um, disabilities and diseases of, of the modern world. When you talk about inflammation, though, it's interesting because um, there was actually a, a woman um, who wrote a book. Um, I think it's the um, anti-inflammation diet, something like that. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember. It was a while right. ago. But anyway, it, it's very I'm familiar with it. Right. Okay, so Julie Daniluk, is that her name? You know who I'm talking about? Uh, I, I know the book. I, yeah, I, I yeah. can't recall the author, but yeah, I have it on my bookshelf. Yeah, I mean, and it's very good. And I mean, you know, her sort of claim to fame is that, you know, basically um, inflammation is, well, that's what I just mentioned a few minutes ago, that it is really the cause of so much. Um, and, and clearly having a more wholesome diet can make a big difference. Yet people who are sick so often will go to the doctors and the doctors will give them the doctor will give them a variety of tests. I know I've been there, done that myself. And it's like, mm-hmm. nope, no inflammatory markers. You know, and it's like, well, what do you mean? I feel horrible. Well, it's maybe you got a virus or something, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and but so what happened to me years ago, I shouldn't say what happened to me, but the way I was eating for quite some time, always kind of on the go, loving my sugar. And it really did catch up with me. And when I ever found this book, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I did change my diet and felt quite a bit different. But yet, when I went to the doctor, it's like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. And, so, <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like, so so why? So if if nothing shows up, why do people, well, you know, they- if people are sick from this inflammation, why isn't it showing up as inflammation in these tests? Well, we, we have, you know, we have a, a sort of a saying, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So you have to look for the right thing. And this is something now, I mean, we look at, for example, the wealth of information that we're finding out about the gut microbiome. We, we've only even started to explore that a decade ago. And the bulk of the information is really only, you know, five years old or so. So uh, therefore, you know, we... We're, we're sort of neophytes when it comes to looking for these things. And I'll give you a great example. So uh, from cardiology, for decades we've known, uh, particularly in studies done in Australia and the United States, that women who would take, uh, uh, would drink um, artificially, you know, zero calorie, artificially flavored diet drinks had an increased risk of diabetes and um, heart disease. Really? And when they had and when they had heart disease, they would um, often have you know very severe complications, and it made no sense, right? If you're drinking a diet drink that has zero calories, it's obviously not the calories that you're getting. This stuff's supposed to be inert uh, in terms of its effects on humans because we tested for that, so we can't find what's going on. Well, just a couple of years ago, and this was published in Nature, what they found is that. Everything I said to this point is true, that it doesn't affect it. It's zero calories for the human being. But what it does alter, it alters our gut bacteria in a very unfavorable way, causes that inflammation that makes people susceptible to develop diabetes. Once you're on the diabetes train, you know, one of the stops on the diabetes train is cardiovascular disease. And that was the link that we were looking for. But we really, even though we knew about it for decades, I remember asking questions, you know, as a cardiology fellow, and you kind of get this kind of smirk from the professors, and they say, well, you know, you ever been to the fast food place? You hear, 
you know, I'll have a, uh, you know, a a bypass burger and some flatline fries. I know, give me a Diet Coke with that. Yeah. And we've, we've all been behind the person who orders that. And so we kind of just put it off to, well, it was other effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in fact, it's a very real effect from that food acting indirectly upon us from our gut microbiome. But for years, we just didn't know what to look for. And so many times, I think, when uh, we're looking at you know, particularly sort of markers or inflammation, it's a very, very complex system, particularly when you start to involve, you know, foods, because foods as opposed to a nutrient or a vitamin that can be studied in a test tube, a food on a human being, even a laboratory animal, has a, a wide range of effects because it's not just one compound. And part of the problem with the way that we address health through diet in this country is we're still using an approach that worked really well when, you know, sort of the science of nutrition came into being a little over a hundred years ago, which is, oh, wow, um, you don't get vitamin C, you get scurvy. Okay, give vitamin C, get rid of scurvy. One nutrient, one effect, one disease. What we're dealing with when we deal with the complications of the modern Western diet, when we deal with chronic low-level inflammation, is not at all a simple system like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about supplements since you mentioned that. I mean, do we? Do you think we need supplements? Well, you know, um, I think that depends, and it, it'll depend on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, on your needs. And even for an individual, it may vary. So, you know, I'll share with you, you know, my personal uh, bias when I'm at home and if I could stay at home all the time and get all the food that I usually use when I'm at home and cook for myself, you know, no, I don't think I would need uh, a whole lot uh, of supplements uh, at all. Uh, however, you know, I travel anywhere from 150 to 200 days a year on the road, uh, which can be very stressful on the body. And in fact, studies have shown that just traveling and changing time zones is enough to uh, negatively impact the bacteria in our gut. That's how, how tightly, you know, woven that communication and that symbiotic interdependence is. So whenever I travel, I always take, you know, some probiotics with me. Uh, to help. And again, that's been shown for folks specifically suffering that might suffer from traveler's diarrhea, etc. Um, you know, if some people have, you know, previous injuries, uh, things like joint injuries, which, again, you know, in my youth, um, somehow I convinced myself when I was younger, I was a really great athlete. Mm-hmm. And, and with the, the hindsight, uh, you know, of time, I realized I really wasn't. And so all I did was tear up a bunch of my joints. So, you know, I take some joint supplements um, because uh, because I have traumatic um, injuries, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from that, that, that you know, I, I didn't really suffer in my youth. But as we get older and the weather gets colder, we, we sometimes feel them a little bit more. Right, um, right. So, yeah, so I think that, you know, it sort of uh, depends. Um, you know, I've talked to professors uh, myself who have done a lot of research, for example, with uh, curcumin, which comes from the spice turmeric um, supplements. And they have found that for patients who are undergoing chemotherapy, particularly chemotherapy for gastrointestinal carcinomas, lots of turmeric supplements help prevent complications of the chemotherapy. So, you know, it's it, it all really depends kind of individually on your history, your needs, et cetera. Uh, the only thing I'd say is that when folks look towards supplements, if they feel that it's appropriate for them, 
always look towards getting a quality supplement because you've seen the consumer reports where it may say curcumin and that particular brand is a bargain, but it only has 7% curcumin. The rest is filler. So you want to make sure, you, just like when we're looking for real food, that you get a quality supplement. And then you make sure that it it is packaged in the clinically relevant doses. So if you read a study and they're taking two grams of turmeric a day, you want to make sure that that's exactly what you're getting. Otherwise, you know, you, you shouldn't expect to see those benefits. Don't you have to take black pepper with turmeric? Uh, you don't have to, but it is recommended. Turmeric just fascinates me as, as sort of a a food person and a, and a student of history as well. When we look at Indian cuisine, cuisine by the way, which uh, in India has the lowest rate of Alzheimer's disease in the world, some of the lowest rates of gastrointestinal carcinomas in the world. Um, one of the thoughts is that it, that that protective effect may come from the uh, curcumin that's in the turmeric. And as you just pointed out, what's interesting is if you look at any Indian recipe that uses turmeric, you'll always see black pepper. And somehow, thousands of years ago, these folks figured out that to get the benefit of curcumin, which uh, when we absorb it is not readily bioavailable, you need to take black pepper. It increases the bioavailability by about 2,500 times. Oh, wow. Um, also, when you look at Indian cooking, you'll find that they use a lot of dairy and a lot of ghee, which is simply clarified butter. Right. What we also find out is when that turmeric is packaged with fats, like that whole fat dairy, it increases the bioavailability again by an order of magnitude. So just the way that those folks learn to prepare their food is kind of the way that that um, we want that curcumin uh, packaged. Um, now, unless you're eating a lot of Indian food, you're probably not going to get the curcumin at the clinically studied doses. Certainly, when they're using it for uh, in the setting of preventing effects of chemotherapy and so forth uh, because it's only two to three percent of the uh, turmeric is active curcumin so when you're looking for that purified stuff um, you want not only the high qualify uh, high quality but you also want it as you point out packaged in a way that makes it highly bioavailable so i know that you um endorse the um what is it a one md vitamin supplements. So tell me what it is about those without make, turning it into a commercial, of course. <laughs> but um, so what is it about those supplements that make them better or, or for you to for you to endorse them? What is it about them? Well, I'll, I'll pull the line from that old commercial, right? I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm not I don't just endorse it. I'm a customer. So, <laughs> you know, I use that. Uh, I use the product as well. I take, you know, their brand of probiotics. I take their brand of turmeric. Again, I mentioned I have some joint issues and a, and a recent study and, and I'll vouch for this found that turmeric uh, is was as effective in a blinded study as ibuprofen uh, for minor joint aches and relieving the inflammation and relieving the pain. And, you know, I just practice what I preach. So I'm a pretty simple guy. And when um, I was looking uh, at those particular supplements, I went and read all what we call white papers, which are what are the clinical studies. Mm -hmm. and, and by that, I mean, is this uh, agent, whether it's the, the Easy Flex, which is a formulation, whether it's their pur purified Long Vita uh, turmeric curcumin, uh, is this what's in the jar, what's in the study? 
So is that answer yes? If it's not, then I probably really want to question whether I want to take that brand. If that answer is yes, then I want to look and say, are the doses relevant? So are they selling me five milligrams when I need 500 milligrams and it's going to be prohibitively expensive? Mm -hmm. So is it the right stuff? Is it at the right dose? And then the third thing, because I keep it simple, just a three, you know, check marks uh, in a box is have they studied this formulation? So are there clinical trials with what they're telling me works? And if so, I want to read those trials and judge for myself. And, And I encourage everybody to do that. Um, not just with supplements, but but have that critical eye. There's a whole chapter in the book, which thank you for your kind words. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that, where we talk about sourcing our food. And we kind of have to get back to being hunter-gatherers again, not because um, we may not come across another mastodon for a month, but simply because there's too much food out there, too much choice, too much convenience, you know, coupled with a lot of confusion. So now instead of using our muscles to hunt mastodons, we have to use our brain to interpret labels mm-hmm. and, and data. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Fenstar. Uh, Michael, we do need to take a short break, but when we come back, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the documentaries, Forks Over Knives, and the whole veganism thing. So so stay with us here, listeners. We've got lots more to cover. We will be right back. Coffee no longer has to be a guilty pleasure. You've heard that red wine is good for you because of nature's most potent antioxidant, resveratrol. Vera Roasting Company makes the only coffee infused with it. Each cup of Vera's coffee delivers the same amount of resveratrol as found in a glass of red wine without the alcohol, sulfates, or tannins. Years of medical studies indicate that regular resveratrol in our diets promote cardiovascular health, slows the progression of certain cancers, Alzheimer's disease, and type 2 diabetes. Vera Roasting Coffee won double-blind taste tests against the leading coffees. Vera Roasting also offers its delicious heart-healthy coffees with added vitamin D to help Ward off the winter blues. You can't get Vera Roasting Coffee in stores. You need to go to veraroasting.com. Free and fast shipping is always available. veraroasting.com. Vera like Vera Bradley. Go to veraroasting.com. That's veraroasting.com. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terramia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy tutorial with stucco walls and beam ceilings specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisines here, the atmosphere is elegant yet understated. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Restaurante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing, and best of all, it's reasonably priced. This best-kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112 or visit terramiarestaurante.com. It can be easy to lose sight of your dreams and aspirations, especially when they seem so out of reach. Between school, kids, and work, your true desires can get left on the back burner. But you should never settle for less than what you deserve and what you know in your heart of hearts you want to do. Carrie Hummingbird has developed a program that will cast away your fear and self-doubt and inspire you to take charge of your life. But don't take my word for it. Christina Wolf took the program and described it as a trustworthy guide to show you how to transform yourself at the soul level. You will have to dig deep, and it won't be easy. But then again, nothing worth having is. 
Life begins at the end of your comfort zone, and your comfort zone ends at the Reinvent Yourself program. So what are you waiting for? Visit www.carriehummingbird.com. You'll be glad you did. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723-6733 or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. We are back, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Fenster. Welcome back, Michael. Thank you. So delightful to be here. This is great. Oh, good. So I'm glad you're enjoying it so as much as I am. Um, so <laughs> there, there's been so many documentaries, um, you know, What the Health, uh, Vagucated, I think it is, Vagucated, I don't even know, Forks Over Knives, I know that one. Um, but if you truly want to be healthy, that veganism is the way. Um, I, I assume you're familiar with all of it and probably maybe you've even seen a documentary or two. What, what's your uh, opinion on that? Well, um, you know, first and foremost, uh, again, being a simple guy, if being vegan, being vegan is not a natural diet mm-hmm. um, because, well, because uh, if you live in the north, um, there, there's no way to eat vegan year round. It, it, it is a diet that is birth of our modern society because if you couldn't ship all that stuff in and do those formulations, you couldn't be a vegan, could you? So it's really not a a diet pathway that is a natural choice for human beings. Uh, number two, when we actually look at the anthropomo- uh, anthropomorphic uh, legacy, when we look at that data trail, you know, who were our ancestors? Where did they come from? There is a tendency for folks to do in you know, sort of these. Uh, propaganda films is what I call them. They talk about a vegan myth where, you know, they ate nothing but leaves. They sat in trees and, and jumped to the ground and rode unicorns around. You know, that's not how it worked. <laughs> when we look at the archaeologic record, what we find is that our ancestors have always been omnivores, which means, yes, they ate leaves and trees. But also like the modern chimps, they ate lots of bugs because those are a great source of protein, particularly when they're trees. And they got meat and marine um, items whenever they could. And it really was this ability to get high-quality protein from meat and marine sources combined with the first chefs who cooked the food that really transformed us and allowed us to develop as human beings. Mm. And this, uh, this was put forth by a Harvard uh, professor, Dr. Richard Rangham, with a W, Rangham. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's done a couple of great books, and his, his most recent one is called Catching Fire. And he really goes through the record and talks about the studies and how, and, and really this is a processing of food. When we first learned to process food, because it was with fire, that it increased our energy absorption, our efficiency of extraction. And that is what allowed us to shrink. And when we look, uh, we're built as omnivores, but really our intestines on that scale from carnivore to herbivore are much more like a carnivore than they are an herbivore. 
when you look at a gorilla in the zoo, you always see they have this huge pot belly. Why is that? Well, because it takes a tremendous amount of energy and intestinal length and time to process roots, vegetables, and um, plants in their raw form because it's difficult to extract the adequate amount of energy. So when we cook it, and uh, it seems we also developed a uh, physiology meant to eat cooked meat, because again, if we were just eating raw meat, um, we'd have a jaw structure, you know, like a saber-toothed cat, mm-hmm. uh, like a you know a, a bear with huge canines. But if you look, what happened as humans developed is our draw- jaws grew weaker, our dentition shrunk, our intestines shrunk, and our brains our brains grew. And all that is a consequence of high-quality protein, and that means eating fish. That means eating meat. And, um, you know, I think it's just a, a unfortunate consequence that we've so adulterated uh, our natural diets, particularly since World War II, with the modern Western diet and our convenience culture, that we should even be examining and even raising the question of is meat and seafood something we should not eat? Well, modern processed meat, Francesca, I want to touch it right. with your fork. Right. Um, right. But, but grass-fed, uh, heritage breed, absolutely. And I got to tell you, as a chef, I find that stuff absolutely delicious. So, okay, so grass-fed. So it's, you're, you're talking about getting the really super high quality, but how do you really, really know? So just not your, your everyday supermarket going in there and picking up chicken, fish, meat. That's not a good idea. Right. Am I hearing you correctly? Well, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, it's about learning probably the most helpful practice we can imitate or we can integrate into our lives comes not from the medical side of the community, but comes from the culinary side of the world. So I want people to source like a chef. You know, that's something as a chef, if I'm going to serve you, you're coming to my restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, I'm knowing where those tomatoes came from. Maybe I'm talking to the person who's who's raising um, that that beef and livestock. You know, I'm out at the, at the farm, you know, looking at the chickens, seeing what they're eating before they lay the eggs. And these great young chefs who are so compulsive, so obsessive compulsive about the quality of their food for us as diners, us as customers in their restaurant, um, you know, we don't necessarily have to go to that extreme, but we can start to adopt some of those practices into feeding ourselves and our family. And so it goes back to what I was talking about. We just have to put a little brain power into our hunting and our gathering and not just mindlessly go to a mega market where everything's in one place, mm-hmm. prepackaged for us. We throw it in our cart and we check out and we don't even think about it. We think more about the options on our cell phone that we're going to buy than we do about the, the food we're going to put on our plate. Isn't that the truth? Let me ask you about alcohol. And I'm talking about, you know, like a red wine or a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, white wine. I'm not talking about the hardcore stuff. I mean, we all know that, you know, a rum and Coke every night of the week isn't going to be good for you. But do you think that wine is good for you? I mean, I know that the red wine has this resveratrol in it. And, um, you know, that's supposed to be good for you. I actually drink a, a coffee that has specifically has that in it. Uh, the Barrier Roasting Company makes it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, having looked at all the data, and and if folks go to my column in psychologytoday.com called A a Whiny Time of Year, there's a three-part series uh, where I go through and review kind of the health benefits associated with moderate alcohol consumption. And in my opinion, the data is quite clear 
that like almost everything that we see, including salt and fats and so on and so forth, that deals with real food, what we see is what we call medicine a J-shaped curve, which means um, there's a sweet spot. It kind of looks like a Nike swoosh or a check mark. There's a sweet spot at which there's kind of a consumptive level that gives us the best health benefit. And there's when you get less than that, you increase your risk of disability and disease and death. And when you exceed that level, you start to increase your risk of disability, disease and death. And so I think that the data is clear that moderate alcohol consumption has a number of great cardiovascular benefits. Um, Does it it matter like whether it's red? Excuse me. I was curious whether it matters whether it's red or white. Does that matter at all? Well, um, it's interesting. Now, uh, there's something that folks have to understand, so I'm, I'm going to get a little technical, That's okay. but bear with me just for a minute. That's okay. uh, there's something that we call publication bias when we look at this data set. And what that simply means is there's a lot of evidence for red wine because there's a lot of studies done with red wine compared to looking at distilled spirits or beer, etc. What we find is when we look, there is kind of a gradation of benefit. So, any moderate alcohol consumption, whether it be one rum and Coke in the evening or a glass or two of red wine, delivers health benefits. Again, moderate consumption, overconsumption, binge drinking, we know that that's bad. Right. Um, but that moderate consumption with alcohol at any level uh, seems to go across the board, red wine, white wine, beer, distilled spirits. There's a gradation where there seems to be maybe a little bit better benefit, a little bit more robust benefit for things like red wine, which in my mind also makes sense because we have to remember that red wine is a naturally fermented product. It's a naturally fermented food. And we continually are seeing benefits uh, to these naturally fermented foods, whether it be wine, whether it be yogurt, uh, you know, whether it be kimchi, sauerkraut, um, you know, et cetera. So there, there is a little something in the way red wine is made mm-hmm. that speaks to me of the benefit. And I'm going to share with you something that's actually going to be an upcoming uh, column in psychology today. And this was fascinating because this was only discovered in the brain five years ago. And it's something called the lymphatic system. So we have a lymph system that drains our body. So we have a circulatory system where the blood is. And then we have lymphatics, which are kind of these drainage channels, which if folks think of, you know, our circulatory system as the highway, as the roads, the lymph system is sort of the sewer and the, and the storm drains that run off the side and collect that debris and take it for processing. And only about five years ago, they discovered that the brain has a similar system called a lymphatic system. And they did a study now, the caveat is this was done with mice, um, so we don't have human data yet. But they did a study looking at the effects of alcohol, and what they found was that compared to no drinking or excessive drinking, moderate drinking, which is about two to three drinks a day, Mm -hmm. uh, two or three glasses of wine, for example, actually enhanced the draining of the brain. And this draining of the brain is what collects and takes away those uh, what we call tau proteins or amyloid uh, plaques, which are associated with neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. And there clearly has been, when we look at the data, 
a correlation between moderate alcohol consumption and less risk for Alzheimer's disease. So this provides a, you know, a very scientific, very sound pathway by which something like that may occur. Now that's interesting because now I'm, you know, I'm a small girl. I'm not even five one. You know, 115 pounds maybe, um, and I find that one glass of wine nice but if i drink two glasses of wine i find the next day i almost feel i don't know if i'd say hungover. that's kind of a strong word but i i don't feel great i feel kind of lethargic so you know and, and that's just two and you're talking two to three now maybe is it because of my size yeah, yeah. So this is definitely, you know, something I'm kind of talking in averages. Yeah. So for a smaller petite woman like you, it would be less. And, you know, some guy out there who is uh, six foot eight, 275 pounds would say, gosh, you know, I have three drinks a day. And, you know, it's so it, it is weight based. And and so I'm sort of speaking in general averages, right, right. Um, you know, and, and just translating, you know, mouse doses to people doses. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Okay, so so let's talk a little bit about the best ways to integrate healthier foods into the diet. I mean, slow and steady, cold turkey, what do you say? Um, you know, I say really the, the best way to do this is, um, you know, I, I try to follow an, an 80-20 rule. Um, because, one, when folks try to do something 100%, you know, we have to take into account you know, our busy, crazy, modern world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, you know, I travel and some days, you know, I am literally, you know, between being on, on the air and on the road on the go for 12 or 14 straight hours. Well, I know that that day it's going to be difficult for me to find, you know, grass fed this or grass fed that. And I sort of do the best I can that day. But maybe that's one day out of 30 or 60 mm-hmm. uh, or 90, you know, depending Um you know, so if if you want to say, you know, this day I want to go to the ballpark with my dad and I'm going to have a chili cheese dog, go there, have your chili cheese dog, enjoy yourself, but don't eat three chili cheese dogs every day. Right. So, you know, go where, you know, hopefully what we want to do is uh, have the majority of, you know, our meals at home. Mm-hmm. where we have control over the ingredients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't do that, start doing that. Right. You know, there are ways to do things ahead of time. Um, I talk about it in the book and so on and so forth. Um, but where you start taking some control over the quality of your ingredients, the majority of them. And um, also, as we talk about in the Food Shaman, look to create a food experience. You know, if I were to ask you, Francesca, you know, tell me, you know, if this is true or not, that if you were to look at maybe five or 10 of your best memories, at least one or two of them would be around an event where there was food and drink and celebration. Oh yeah. Well, right. And so that, that is, that's what we talk about when we talk about a food experience, how, you know, if I took that same meal that you said, man, this experience I had, this romantic dinner, it was candlelight. We were by the ocean. You know, this food was incredible. This wine was incredible. And you and I are sitting in a cafeteria, and I poured you a glass in a paper cup and gave you the same exact meal. You go, yeah, this is okay. And and look to create that that moment, that food yeah. experience, and bring that magic back into dining. And that means, 
you know, not munching on a Cinnabon as you go through the airport that's the, the size of a carry-on suitcase. Well, I know, but they are delicious, those Cinnabons. Um, <laughs> they, 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 there's nothing They're like, addictive is what they are. They, they really <laughs> are. But, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because, I, you know, and, and again, I mean, I'm not a big wine drinker, but, you know, I, you know, my boyfriend and I, we go out to eat, you know, maybe a couple nights a week. And, um, you know, we have our favorite little spots, but... You know, I have a very specific way that I like to um, sort of create my experience. I want to sit at the bar. I don't want to sit at a table. Um, I have no idea why that is, but I just I prefer to sit at the bar. And I like the place that I go to, their wine glasses. I don't want to go to a place with a crappy-looking wine glass. It just... <laughs> and yet, if you were to say, well, what kind of wine do you drink? You know, thinking I must know my wines. I don't. You know, I have no idea. I mean, I know what tastes good. You know, they'll say, do you want this? Do you want that? Well, let me taste them. Okay, fine. Yeah, I like this one better. But I, I can't even imagine. It's like I couldn't go to a summer cookout and have a glass of wine if they gave it to me in one of those little plastic cups. It just would... It wouldn't have the same experience, right? And that—that's exactly what we're talking about. Oh, good. So that you I'm know. not neurotic. Okay, because I thought no. And, and what and what <laughs> what really the data shows, and what the food shaman you know talks about, and kind of provides a, a lot of evidence for, is the health benefits of the experience. So what I call the soft edges of the meal. So the wine glass, the ambiance, the music. All these sorts of things. I mean, there was a study that, that was published this week in a cardiology journal that showed, it, you know, the same patients exercise better and longer depending on the kind of music we play. Oh, absolutely. So if they're in there, right? Yeah. So, but that's part of the experience. And so when you say, hey, you know, I, I when I have that wine glass and that music's playing and I'm sitting at the bar, boy, you know, I shift into a, you know, you sort of shift from, the chronic stressor uh, of sympathetic nervous discharge, you know, that fight or flight response we're always talking about, mm -hmm. you're turning down that volume and you're turning on your parasympathetic system. And that's the part that's responsible for digestion, for good gut health, um, that is associated with, you know, love and gratitude. And we're finding all those things are important and actually do have measurable effects when we look at how that modulates our immune system. Well, so absolutely. we are human beings. That's right. Yeah, well, yeah. And, I mean, and, if, and you went, if you went out together. to eat and you went out to eat by yourself and you were feeling lonely, I mean, you could have the most beautiful wine glass in the world. You can have a delicious <laughs> meal, but, you know, it's just not the same. I mean, we are, as you said, we're human beings and connection um, is probably 99% of our health. You know, so so for Absolutely. all so for all the vitamins that we take or the supplements that we take, the the grass fed meat, you know, all that those healthy organic veg, fruits and vegetables, I, I still you know that's a, a major player in our health for sure. Um, so anyway, but let's uh, we do need to take an, another short break. When we come back, we've got more to talk about, listeners. So stay with us here. Don't go away. Your body is not the only part of you that needs training. Your brain needs it too. Decision making and focus are one of the most important skills to accomplish your goals in life. Combat brain training is the first targeted neuroplasticity training that actually improves your cognitive ability to observe, decide, and act better and faster. Unlike digital-based programs that research shows create minimal or no real-world benefits, 
It incorporates portable handheld training tools that utilize all parts of the brain. 100% of the people who have followed the program report significant improvements in performance regardless of starting cognitive baseline. This program is perfect for anyone looking to accelerate their thinking process and really focus more effectively on any task at hand. Don't wait any longer. Go to CombatBrainTraining.com and find out more. Captain Lord Mansion is the ultimate bed and breakfast experience. It's the only AAA four-diamond bed and breakfast in Kennebunkport. But it's so much more. It's the perfect, elegant, romantic getaway. Relax at their day spa. Be pampered in your room with heated floors, jetted showers and tubs, gas fireplaces, king and queen beds, flat screen TVs, and all the quaintness with all the modern conveniences. Be surrounded by impeccable gardens, waterfalls, fountains, a putting green, a charming gift shop, wine cellar, the list goes on and on, including a full three-course breakfast. This is a stay that you will never forget. Engage in our special offers. Call 207-967-3141. 207-967-3141. CaptainLordMansion.com. In Kennebunkport, Maine. Memories and elegance await you. Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat, no matter what the season. Nominated for Best of the North Shore from North Shore Magazine for Best Alfresco Dining, Best Kid-Friendly Restaurant, Best Lobster Dinner, and Best Water View. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on Nahant Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HD TVs. At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. The new Cobblestone Cafe on Hanover Street in Boston brings casual, on-the-go American fare to the North End, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Open daily at 7 a.m., Cobblestone Cafe offers burgers, barbecue, salads, fries, milkshakes, seafood, and the very popular Snickerdoodle iced coffee. Delivery and catering are also available. Cobblestone Cafe, 227 Hanover Street in Boston. For more information, call 857-263-8057 or visit them online at cobblestonecafene.com. All right, we are back, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca, and I am speaking to Dr. Michael Fenster. He is a board-certified interventional cardiologist, professional chef, and author of the books, The Fallacy of the Calorie, and the upcoming book that will be released, I think, in June. Is that right, The Food Shaman? Yep, Food Shaman, June 12th. Yep. So let me ask you, Michael, about sugar, because here we are talking about, you know, sort of romancing food, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe he'll say it's okay for us to have... Something sugary. Although I have to say, now, I have, this is this is very interesting. If I go out and I eat, you know, a nice spinach salad, maybe with some salmon, a glass of wine. But if I have dessert, I don't know, I don't know if it's the sugar in the wine and then the sugar dessert. But that's when it really hits me not quite right. So I, I'm thinking it's, it's too much sugar. It's like, a, you know, I don't know. Am I right? What? 
Well, it, it certainly could be. And again, you know, everybody's um, sensitivity to that uh, depends. You know, and as you, you get away from the modern Western diet, which is just so loaded with sugars, and particularly, you know, over 75% of the high fructose corn syrup, which is glucose and fructose, uh, in this country is utilized in processed and, you know, fast food restaurant, you know, type foods. And when we cook at home, when we go to where a real chef is crafting us, handcrafting us, you know, some delicious meal, we don't cook that way. Mm -hmm. And so um, as you get away from that type of diet, which is really addictive because sugar hits mm -hmm. those same areas in the brain as, as heroin. Mm -hmm. we, n nobody questions whether heroin we talk about the opioid epidemic mm -hmm. and how addictive it is and how easy it is you know the doctor's handing out these prescriptions for minor pains loaded with um you know opiates and the next thing you know people are hooked sugar is it hits the same part of the brain um we are really wired we're, we are really sort of evolutionarily um you know susceptible it's a real achilles heel to us because in a natural world you know, sugar is pretty rare. You'll get it from fruits. You might get it from a little honey, but you're not going to get it in the amounts that we do today. I mean, if you look just 100 years ago, the average American consumed about, you know, six pounds of sugar. We do that in under a month now with our diet. And that's not eating those desserts, Francesca. That's just eating the processed food. Yeah, but Sans the desserts. But what? But you know, I mean, who even eats processed? I, I I don't know. Maybe I have a healthier diet than I realize. But you know, to me, it's it's you know, yogurt with some fruit in the morning, or oatmeal and some fruit. You know, maybe a salad, a little protein in the afternoon. Same thing at dinner. Um, although I'm a picker, I have to admit, I'm definitely a picker, which I think is can be a problem. Well, here's it, it comes in very hidden forms. So, for example, one of the main sources of sugars in the modern Western diet along with excess sodium, is bread. Now, people don't think of bread as sweet, you know, but it's put in there because, one, uh, it helps preserve it. You ever wonder why that loaf of bread you buy, you know, can sit on your counter for months and months and it's it, no mold, nothing, you know, uh, natural grows on it. It doesn't get moldy. It doesn't get hard. It sits there. You know, it's loaded uh, with these sugars. At fast food restaurants, they purposely put sugar in the bun because, again, it's going to hit that uh, what's called a bliss point in your brain. And you're going to say, oh, gosh, you know, I love going through this drive through because there's something about that burger that I get that, you know, when I make it at home, it's just not the same. Well, it's it's loaded with sugar, salt and fat in layers that are not always perceptible as sweet, but they, they sort of ring our dinner bell. They light us up like a Christmas tree when it comes to the pleasure principle, and they get us coming back for more. So, you know, it, it's a very crafted diet. They, it, this modern Western diet, it's not made for health. It's made to come have you come back and buy more products. I had no idea bread has sugar in it. Bread is is one of, if not the leading source of sugar in the modern Western diet. Yeah, if you actually will read some of the labels, you'll see, you know, flour, sugar, you know, etc. The bread. If you talk to, um, you know, I travel over to Europe quite a bit, and I, I talk to folks over there, or when they come over here, and we catch up, and they're like, "How do you people in the U.S. even eat your bread? It's so sweet." Because 
because in Europe, there's still a lot of sort of the artisanal bakeries, et cetera, and they're mm-hmm. using, you know, water, salt, flour. Mm-hmm. And when they come over here, they can taste that sweetness. And they're so like, your bread is so sweet. You know, how do you even eat it? Um, but for the average American, it's one of those things where it's imperceptible. So this stuff is, is added to everything. I mean, uh, there's a popular kind of vegetable juice where if you look down and read the label, you'll see corn syrup. Oh, it's yeah. like, what is corn yeah. syrup doing in, yeah, yeah, you know, what's yeah, supposed right. to, what I'm thinking is a healthy vegetable drink. But go back to bread. So do you, would you suggest not eating bread at all? I, I, oh, I love my breads. Now I do mine from scratch or I get them from, uh, you know, I have a whole thing on how you can do easy breads and no need breads and, you know, things like that. Or, or where you can get them from artisanal uh, bakers that use certain types of, of wheat. But I, I do not eat uh, any processed wheat. And actually, I will tell you, as somebody who, you know, was a big bread person, um, you know, many years ago, uh, and still is. But but now if I eat that modern bread, I understand where this sort of mythos that it's the gluten is coming from, because I don't think it's the gluten. If I eat uh, bread, I, I don't feel well uh, afterwards. And I think it's uh, a combination of the amount of sugar, salt, and additives that are in these modern bread products. And you'll see them in everything from breads to crackers uh, to all sorts of baked goods, uh, these types of additives, stabilizers, you know, polysorbate 80, carboxymethylcellulose, sh- uh, corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup. Um, it, it's scary when you read a label that should have like three ingredients, water, flour, salt, four ingredients, and yeast. No kidding. So now um, in, in terms of like, say, sugar, like, or drinking, co- well, wait a minute, let me ask you about coffee. You think, what do you think about coffee? You think that's okay? I love coffee, and I think that, uh, again, if folks want to go, the very first article I wrote for Psychology Today, if they'll go back there, I talk about the health benefits of coffee. Um, You know, it's very interesting. It seems that we see a detriment when people drink the sugar-loaded, caffeine-loaded, you know, so-called, and I'm doing air quotes here for anyone who's listening, energy drinks, Mm -hmm. end quote, and air quotes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when we look at coffee, we consistently see um, high benefit, and coffee is is a natural being, and it's absolutely loaded with these uh, beneficial, you know, phenolic compounds, anti-inflammatories, antioxidants, um, et cetera. So, you know, I'm a big coffee drinker. You know, I have my uh, couple cups in the morning, and I'm also a big tea drinker, and, you know, I really enjoy my uh, teas in the afternoon, uh, which are also, uh, you know, a very, very helpful drink. So uh, from someone when I was back in my youth many decades ago as an intern and resident, you know, chugging those Diet Cokes and Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. like that to get me through the night, get me through the afternoon – I don't drink any soft drinks. Now, I think soft drinks are one of the, oh, the yeah. big oh, yeah. problems with the modern, you know, Western diet and, and sort of the hybrid of that, which is these coffee drinks that have all this stuff added to them. Um, oh, you know, yeah. I, I don't yeah. think they're good. But, you know, uh, coffee with a little whole fat dairy, a, li- a little dash of honey for sweetness. Ab- absolutely. What about uh, stevia? You know, a, a powerful neat drink. What about stevia? Um Stevia, um, you know, there are some questions about some of these low-cal sweeteners that they have the potential to unfavorably alter uh, the gut microbiome. So, you know, um, again, being a simple guy, I like to stick with what I call uh, sweeteners of redemption. Mm -hmm. So when we look at, you know, sucrose and 
what we would call sugar, mm-hmm. uh, table sugar, et cetera. That white crystalline powder, which as a, here's some free medical advice, generally avoid any kinds of just pure white powders. And, and you'll probably be on the healthful side. Yeah. Um, when we When we go away from that, to the ways that it's naturally packaged. So honey, for example, we find all these sort of, it's definitely got the sugar in there, but we have these healthful compounds as well, lots of antimicrobials and and other antioxidants. When we look at things like maple syrup loaded with magnesium and uh, manganese, uh, Mm -hmm. et cetera, uh, we find that, yeah, we're getting some sweetness and we are injecting ingesting some sucrose that's okay uh but we're also you know there's a little bit of redemption there we're getting something for that you know metabolic dollar we're spending as it were mm-hmm. whereas with with sucrose and pure sweetener um these distilled pure sweeteners we're not you know we're not getting anything for for our, our dollar our metabolic dollar there so you know if you're going to spend your metabolic dollars on sweeteners you know make sure you get some value uh, for that dollar. I can't imagine putting honey in my coffee though. <laughs> oh, uh, my, my wife does it all the time. And this is, this is a guy who used to, you know, have the artificial sweetener or the sugar. And now if she doesn't have the honey in there, um, she can't drink it. It gives her that perfect little bit of, uh, you know, sweetness, uh, with the coffee and, and she's actually getting, you know, because it's a, kind of a small potent dose, uh, that honey, that natural local honey, um, that's, uh, you know, totally organic, um, is giving her, again, some uh, redemption for that metabolic dollar. So you're getting, you know, some uh, at least, you know, healthful attributes from there on top of the flavor. So, you know, I always suggest look for those natural local honeys. One of the biggest scams ever in terms of food deception has to do with the big processed honeys that uh, were on the uh, that you find in the mega market shelf. So right, right. when when was looked into that, you know, they found that oh god, these were adulterated with all sorts of stuff, and I thought I was getting honey. So what 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 do you what kind of honey would you recommend then? Like the local stuff. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely, you know, part of if you we look for um, look towards sort of holistic type therapies, a holistic approach, a homeopathic approach, you know, for people, for example, that have allergies, one of the things that they recommend is to take local honeys because you're getting exposed to those potential allergens in the honey, but in sort of homeopathic doses, quite literally. And so your your body then can adjust to them and then they're not this foreign entity. So one of the strategies of some of uh, my friends who are homeopathic physicians uh, is to say, hey, if you really have a bad time with allergies, make sure you get some you know local organic honey and that's going to kind of help your body get used to the environment, um, you know, in a way that when spring comes around, fall comes around, uh, you're not going to have such an inflammatory, severe inflammatory reaction to it. Wow, I'm surprised. I wouldn't have guessed that you would have been a fan of homeopathy. Yep, yep. Uh Absolutely, uh, you know, a big fan of that and in all its forms and, and particularly, again, from a historic perspective, you know, one of we talked about, you know, having um, moderate alcohol consumption, uh, a big way that that was done in olden times and, and still absolutely delicious is through mead, which is just fermented honey. No kidding. Well, Michael, I wish we had more time, but we are out of time. But thank you so much for all this this great information. I really do appreciate it. 
It's been uh, an absolute uh, pleasure, and thank you so much for having me, Francesca. All right. Thank you. All right. It's time to wrap things up. We've got to say goodbye. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did. See you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great week.